that song, the words to that song, struck your heart as a point of personal truth. I am the one you love. Would you raise your hand and let's say that, let's make that declaration again. I am the one you love. Amen. 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 Now that's that that's what that's what his grace is all about. That's what his mercy is all about. That he takes us from where we are and he begins the process of changing us from the inside to where he wants us to be. And it's not anything we've earned, not anything we've paid him to do, but he set his love on you. He set his love on you. He set his love on you and began the work of wooing and winning us unto himself. Amen. Amen. We just, we just go home after that sermon, sermon by song this morning, but I'm not going to lecture because I've got, got a few things here that on this, on this day um, I feel like we need, to, we need to point out. The circumstances of this Palm Sunday in the life of Alamo City in this particular year goes beyond the celebrating of the Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And, and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know what that means? You know what that word Hosanna means? It's a literal cry, a literal prayer, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. And not all of them realized what was going to happen. Even the disciples themselves weren't ready to accept the fact that in order for Jesus to save us, he would need to die on the cross for our sins. But those were prophetic shouts. Those were prayerful, requesting shouts. Lord, save us. And we're here this morning because 2000 years ago and some change, the Lord Jesus went to that cross and he paid the price on the cross for our sins. And he was buried, but on the third day, Easter Sunday morning, he was raised from the dead as proof, as proof that he accomplished everything necessary for you and me to be forgiven on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. It's the gospel is those three parts. Paul makes that very clear in 1 Corinthians 15, that the gospel in which we stand is that we believe, we hold as our own, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. As we embrace those truths, we didn't get it from mama, daddy, or a praying friend, or, or uh, somebody down our family line that was a good person, or, or we, we flip God a quarter every once in a while, and we've, we've tried not to be as bad as we used to be. All of those kinds of Ways that, that we could try to convince ourselves are enough to, for the Lord to smile down on us and forgive us of our sin, take us forever. All of those, all of those steps, so that somebody, I'm, I'm close to somebody, who, I'm a good friend of this, my mother prayed for me. All of those things can mean that it wasn't necessary for Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me. But it's a personal acceptance. It, it's, it, it's us. It's individually. It's you. It's me receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now that's, that's the gospel, that's the gospel. He died on the cross for our sins, he was buried, he was raised again on the third day, meaning he's alive, I'm forgiven, he's alive in me, and what he's doing in me, I want him to do in you. You know, that, that's the message of the gospel. It's not about perfect people just being more perfect. 
It's about forgiving people, realizing where the forgiveness came from and where the hope of a new life is found, and that's in the person of the Lord Jesus. So that's, that's Palm Sunday and the message of Palm Sunday. Easter's coming next Sunday. We look forward to a good Friday evening service, 7 o'clock. We'll be through in about an hour, but we'll have the Lord's Supper together, <clears throat> and we'll look forward to that time and then also Easter Sunday. <clears throat> Excuse me. But today, not only do we celebrate Palm Sunday, but we also recognize this is a day that we are going to take the step of breaking ground for the purpose of building a new building. And I need to get some water here real quick. (coughs) If you can put that. (coughs) Thank you. Sorry. I must have hollered too much in that first service. It just kind of got a little dry. <clears throat> All right, now there's, that, that, that's, where we're, that's where we're headed. That's, that's where when we finish this time together, uh, we will uh, make our walk uh, out onto the property, and we're going to get as close to where the middle of that building is going to be uh, as we can. Uh, those of you who need to get in your cars, because it's along about a quarter of a mile, it seems like, from here to there, um, you're welcome to uh, follow our men's direction to get you out closer to where we're going to be. Much closer to the freeway, much more of a compact um, situation. But, but here, here's, what, here's what we need to know, okay? This is important. This is important. Only Jesus can build a church. All right, his people can build a building, but only Jesus can build a church. Now, when we, <clears throat> when, when we moved into this arrangement here, this 40-acre come, would come to be 58 acres with 18 acres over here, this was an already built building. Many of you... Uh, were a part of that time, that season, and um, it it was the old Texas Outlet Mall, uh, right where you're sitting, they were selling Adidas shirts and tennis shoes, down the hall they were selling hot dogs and whatever else, and shirts and women's clothes and men's clothes, this was a mall, this was a mall. We eventually built a gym back here, but but this, this was the place that was secular on steroids. Okay, it was secular, but into this secular place came the people of God. So, so the building, and this is, this is important, the building is not where the Lord lives. Christ in you is your hope of glory. No, you're not, Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 6, no, you're not that your body, your body, Christians, is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own because you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which belongs to the Lord because that's where he lives. Now, there have been a bunch of folks, a bunch of folks We've come to know the Lord in this building. Several thousand probably been baptized in that baptistry up there. A whole bunch of you, you know, those that are talking to our streaming family scattered all over the place, the Alamo City family, you, you were married in this place. You met your mate, maybe, in this place. You had babies born and brought into the nursery raised your children here, but this place is not Jesus. This place is not, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry more than all of you. I, I'm going to have lumps in my throats when we, my throat, as we get closer to this facility where you're sitting will actually be victimized by bulldozers and dump trucks, and this is all going to go away, except for some of the pews that some of you have thought you owned, and they belong to you. 
Lord willing, we're going to figure out a way to, to move enough of the, these pews to the new location, to the new building. But that place will seat about 350. This room seats about 2,000. So there's going to be a compacting of the scope and the reach of the new building. We'll just add services as we need to add services, but Lord willing, it will be debt-free when we move in, taking the, taking the proceeds from the about 50 acres or so that we're selling and putting all of that into the building of something new so that our $18,000 a month utility bills in the summer will be a thing of the past and it may be something more like 1500 And that money, instead of having to go to pay a utility company, can go to do the work of the Lord, whatever would need to be done. But it's, 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 still, it's still a place. It's still going to be a building. And the Jesus you love and the Jesus you save, who saved you doesn't live in this I-beam right here and doesn't live in that sheetrock right there and doesn't, doesn't live on this platform. He lives in you. He lives in you and me. So, so, so then why, why do we need to build something if the Lord doesn't live there? Well, the Lord never has lived in a building that Christian people have built. If it was so important for us to have buildings and the right kind of buildings, there would have been a whole chapter in the book of Acts at least that would have been a detailed description for all future architects and contractors as to this is how it's supposed to be built. Thus saith the Lord, pews are to be 18 feet long. Thus saith the Lord, the steeple is to be 40 feet high. You don't find that anywhere. In fact, it would be centuries after Jesus came to this earth and the new church was born. It would be centuries before churches would actually have buildings that they could call their own. So they met in homes, or they met out under trees, or they would, if there was a, a Jewish temple that had been built in the air, any place they could find a space, because it was deeply entrenched in their hearts. I don't find Jesus in a place. I find Jesus in a person, in my relationship with him. And Jesus would say, where two or three of you have gathered together, there I'll be right in the middle of the circle. Remember that? So that means that as two or three or four or five or 15 or 20 or two or 300 or more gather together, then it is the presence, hallelujah, it is the presence of the Lord Jesus in the room that is all that matters. And that when he is in the house, we've said this many times, when he's in the house, what? Anything can happen. <laughs> when he is in the house, anything can happen. So we don't put our trust in, in, in whether or not every single thing that would be built in a new building, just like in the building that we've inherited, has been exactly perfect. This For 34 years, it would be 34 years this second Sunday in June that we've been in this place. And the Lord has allowed this place to be an amazingly comfortable, amazingly spacious place for His people to be able to gather. And, and we've, we've been so grateful, but the truth about it is, just like this outer man is perishing, but the inner man's being renewed, this outer man is perishing. And we've got wobbles in the foundation, and you drove around spots in the parking lot big enough to lose a Volkswagen in. And we, we've got, you know, all, and all these acres to mow, hours, man hours, mowing this, these fields around here. It, it, it's been wonderful in so many, many ways. But there's come to be the sense that the Lord is saying it's, it's time to notice what is happening with the age of the existing facility, and I'm going to make provision for there to be a new facility. We are, we are in the kind of coming to the end of about a three-year prayer process with the particular 
company that is, is going to buy the rest of the property three years. Been praying for it three years. And through that is not, not, not that, Lord, we have to have this happen, but, Lord, if this is your property anyway and we offer it up to you, if there's to be a change, then we're going to ask you to show us how that change needs to be made and bring forth the ones who would help us to be able to do that. We feel like we're at that place and that um, sometime this next week there'll be earth-moving equipment out there on the property and they'll start um, getting things done there. That building will be built before anything is done with this building and the gym. But just know it's, the change is coming. We're not losing Jesus because Jesus isn't leaving you. All right? You may, it may look different where you park, and it may look different where you sit on Sunday morning, and we may not have as much many rooms to walk through and as long a hallway to walk through, but Jesus isn't going anywhere because he's alive in us, and where he takes us, he will also be, all right? So we thank him for that, and we praise him for that, and we're going we're gonna to walk out there in just, in just a few minutes. But I need to, I need to ask you to go with me. To the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus in chapter 25, Exodus 25, that's the second book in your Bible. Most everybody ought to be able to find the book of Exodus, you know. And the Lord is speaking some instruction to Moses about what was called the tabernacle. It would be the place where the Lord's presence would be found in those days. And this is a description that we're about to read some parts of that has to do with the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, and the implications of that for you right where you sit as a child of God with Jesus alive in your heart by His Spirit this morning. Look at verse 10, Exodus chapter 25 and verse 10, and the Lord speaking to Moses and through Moses, and they shall construct an ark, a box, wooden box of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long. You remember a cubit is about 18 inches, so two times 18 inches on another half, two and a half inches long, one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. And you shall, the Lord says, overlay it with pure gold, inside and out. You shall overlay it, and you shall make gold molding around it. Verse 16, and you shall put into the ark, put into the box, the testimony which I shall give to you, that referencing the Ten Commandments, the two tablets of stone that the Lord wrote on those tablets of stone and gave to Moses. Verse 17, And you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, angelic beings, figures of gold. Make them of hammered works at the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. And the cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. And the faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat, to be facing down. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. It would be the lid to the ark, which would hold the Ten Commandments. And in the ark you shall put the testimony which I shall give to you. Then look at verse 22. To Moses the Lord says, And there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. Moses and then the high priest would be told by the Lord 
between the wings of the cherubim, I will meet with you. Mercy seat, cherubim attached to the top of the mercy seat. Hold mercy. Hold that word in your heart. The scripture goes on to record that in the most holy place of the tabernacle, the holy place, there was an outer court, there would be an inner court. The temple reflected the same design as the tabernacle when Solomon was able to complete the temple in his day. It was an exact replica except expanded upon the tabernacle in Moses' day. But here's one of the things that just just gets me. I mean, blesses the thought of it in my heart. Inside the most holy place, inside the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, all right, where the mercy seat atop the ark was and the wings of the cherubim were spread out, in that place where the Lord said to Moses, I will meet you there and I will speak to you there. It was a completely dark place. The most holy place, the holy place, evidently there were no lamps that were kept lit. There were no torches brought in by the high priest on the one day of the year when the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. He carried no candle. He carried no torch into an otherwise completely dark room except for the glow of the Shekinah glory of the Lord between the wings of the cherub. Just his presence filled and lit the room. And the high priest was then able to sprinkle the blood of sacrifice upon the mercy seat for his own sins, for the sins of the nation, for sins of the people. The glory of the Lord lit the room. The glory of the Lord lit the room. The glory of the Lord lit the room. But, but, but here, here's, here's where we need to... That was the old covenant. We, we, we live in the new covenant. I told you not to let go of that word mercy. Because he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we've done. Titus 3, 5. But he saved us on the basis of his mercy. Jesus Christ fulfilled every prophetic offering of blood that would be sprinkled upon them for the sins of the nation, for the sins of people. Jesus came as the once and for all sacrifice for sins and came as the expression of God's heart of mercy. God's heart. Well, who was Jesus? John chapter 1 says, and the word was with God and the word was God. And nothing came into being that has come being, come into being apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God. But to as many as received Him, to these He gave the right to be called the children of God, even to those who would be believing upon His name. That's, that's Jesus. John would later say in John chapter 1, and we beheld His glory. We beheld His glory. I, I, I want you to just, this is going to take some nimble fingerhood here. I want you to go as quick as you can from Exodus chapter 25 all the way over to the book of Matthew. And the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew, I'm praying, Lord, that you'll take this out of our minds and the hearing of our ears and cause this to just blow up in our hearts today. Look at this. Look at this. This is in Matthew 17, verse 1. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And the face, his face shone like the sun. 
and his garments became white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared there with him. They came out of heaven, came to earth, and they were comforting and encouraging Jesus on his way to the cross. That's, that's significant. But I'm going to tell you, brother, sister, there's nothing more significant than what you can find in this passage right here, that this Jesus, this Jesus, became something different before their very eyes. Meaning, it wasn't that a light shone out of heaven on him. It says his face, his face became like the sun shining in his strength. What do we think of when we think of the sun? Light. It's daylight. It's daylight. Who was it giving light in the pitch black Holy of holies throughout all of those centuries. Whose light was it? Who was given that light? It was the presence of the living Jesus by his spirit. All right? His face became gleaming and his clothes, the idea again, was not light shining from the outside, but it is like the, 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 the grammar is very specific. It is, it is light from within radiating out. Different than a spotlight coming this way, it was the effervescence of the light and the life of the glory, the glory of God Almighty shining out of Jesus. He had humbled himself. He had emptied himself of all of his divine prerogatives, all of the the glory and the attributes that he had in heaven to become a baby, to be born of Mary. But here's a picture of who he really is, who he had been, and who he is forevermore now. He is the embodiment. He is the expression of the radiant glory of God in his mercy and his love for people. Amen. Now, all right. Okay, now what's the next step? What's the next dot we need to connect? Paul will say in Colossians 1, chapter 27, verse 27, It is Christ in you. Christ in that Christ, that exalted Christ, that that glory-filled, radiant Christ. It is Christ in you, your hope of glory. Now, why would he be there? Abby and the group just sang about it. It's because he loved you. Before you and I ever knew to love him, before we could ever say we're worthy of your love, he started loving us, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. But it was intended that it would be much more, so much more than just sins forgiven, though that's amazing. And heaven is our home, that's amazing. The best of it all, is that there would come to be a realization inside your chest that informs your mind that Almighty God by the Spirit of Jesus is alive in me. I am worth something. Though others may not think I'm worth anything, I'm worth a lot because He picked me, He chose me, He cleansed me, and He has set His love upon me, and He has set His presence within me. You go all the way back to 2 Chronicles 7. And the prayer that Solomon prays, and we we quote that often. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. But the Lord goes on to say, I will set my heart in this place. And I will tune my heart to hear the prayers offered in this place. Well, is that... Is that old and gone and that promise not true and that reflective heart of the Lord not applicable for us because there's no temple now? No. Not in the light of what this talks about. It's Christ in you. The radiant eminence of the glory of God alive in you. And it is in that place that he has chosen to set his heart forever And it is in that place, your heart, that he has chosen to hear your prayers with every bit as much efficacy, if not more, 
than the prayers, the petitions offered by the priests, even the high priest, earthly high priest in those days. Amen. Amen. So, so it may be two or three of you gathering in your home, four or five of you, one or two of you, out in some place that, that, that's, that, that, that's not a church setting. Y'all hear me talk about this all the time. You can't lock Jesus up in this building. You're not going to see him with his face smashed against the glass as you walk off out into your world. Where is he? If he's to be found anywhere, he's to be found in your heart and in your chest. So, so the joy of knowing, and this is the history of Alamo City, has been such a proof for this. That a setting that was completely secular, and worse than that, it was bankrupt secular. <laughs> this, was, this was a forsaken, not wanted place, but into this place 34 years ago almost, the glory of the Lord came in the person and the presence of his people who were drawn here and loved on each other here, and as we praised up his presence seemed to come down. Folks being healed, marriages being put back together, runaway young'uns realizing I, I've left something that I never should have walked away from in the love of my parents. All kinds of things. So much so that via bus drivers and police officers that would bring people here. Well, those folks will help you. They say, well, Pastor, what, what, what is it? Ones would come and visit and say, what, what, what is it? What is it about the church? As if I could give them some program or I could tell them exactly how to build something so it would work it. And my honest, my honest answer would always be, it's the people. It's what the Lord's doing in the people. We don't care what color. We don't care what nationality. We don't care, care whether you're married or single. We, we, we don't care your pedigree academically or not. It's the Jesus in me that's loving the Jesus in you. And at that place, we can have fellowship and we can rejoice in anticipation that when we get together, when we circle up in his name, there's going to be that breeze from another land blowing in our midst. Amen. All right? So this needed to, needed to establish that, that we don't need to worry about leaving Jesus in this building because he doesn't live in this building. He's going to go where we go. You know, and I say that, it really ought to be, we're going to go where he leads us. And in the place where he leads us, we are going to sense his presence. Amen. And I need to say one more thing about, about church. Church. Said a little bit about building, and I'm not sure if that ruffled any feathers, but this, these comments on church are liable to just make a stew of you, man. I, I don't, I, I'm, no, I, I'll take that back. Matthew chapter 16, you're familiar with this. Simon Peter was asked by the Lord, but who do you say that I am, Simon? You remember that? And what was Simon Peter's answer? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The word Christ means anointed one. And anointed means endued with power for the accomplishing of a specific purpose for a specific period of time. Supernatural power bestowed on an individual for the accomplishing of a specific purpose for a specific period of time. You are the Christ. You are the one anointed to save. You are the one anointed to rescue. You are the one anointed to make, you, make new and to deliver. He, they'd witnessed Jesus delivering from sickness, delivering from demon possession. The expansion in Simon Peter's statement is that it's not just deliverance from infections and deliverance from paralysis, but you're the one who can deliver from everything, from anything. You're the Christ, the Son 
of a living God. You're not just man. You are a man. But you are God in a human form. Now there were things about what Simon Peter would say at that point in time that were statements of truth. They were statements that would be prophetically and in time realized more completely by him and the others after the crucifixion and the resurrection. But notice how Jesus just lands on that statement. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are Simon, you are Peter, little rock, little chip off the big rock. And on this rock, different word, different word, stratum of rock, slab of rock, you are Peter, little rock. And on this rock, stratum of rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. I will build my church on the confession from the hearts of people that Jesus, not God in general, not I believe in God, not I believe in the man upstairs, but I have come to be persuaded that you, Jesus, are the anointed one, the one empowered to rescue me, to save me, to deliver me, to make me new. I have been persuaded that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You understand, the biblical root for the word faith or to believe means to be persuaded of, to be persuaded of, meaning that the Lord knows some folks are going to be able to believe, to be persuaded with a small amount of evidence in a limited amount of time. But he also knows how everybody else may be wired, and that is that it may take some things to persuade you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and our faith, our believing in him, folks, listen, is not something that is to originate in us. It is a response to evidence. You talk about something that will set you free in trying to help people and get you out of, the, out of that, that, that lion's den of, well, you've got to save everybody in your family. You've got to turn everybody back to God. You've got to get them all to believe in Jesus. The, the, the peace comes when you realize believing in Jesus the ability to believe is a response to evidence that you have received that proves that he is who he claims to be. We can holler at folks and be disappointed at folks and, and slap them around with the Bible all day long. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And it does no good. We're saying you just need to believe. To which honestly they would say, I would if I could, but I can't. So what then do we do? The first thing we do is start being nice to them. <laughs> quit, quit whipping them. Quit being disgusted every time the name comes up. And realize, Lord, evidently, they just need some more evidence that you are who you say you are. And I'm asking you, I'm agreeing with your heart that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm agreeing with your heart that you'll just give them evidence stacked on top of evidence, stacked up on top of evidence that you are the Christ, you are the rescuer, you are the Savior. It's amazing how things can change quickly once that evidence begins to take root in a heart, but it sets us free from the pressure of feeling like I've got to save everybody, I've got to change everybody. Who, who can build the church? Is your name in there? I mean, and the church is supposed to be made up of folks who have made the confession that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus didn't say he gave that to himself and then put your name in there. He didn't. He didn't. So the building of the church is the property of Jesus by his Spirit. He does it. And he will do it. It may not be every time in the moment that we could wish, on the calendar that we could cry out for, but he knows what he's doing, 
And he knows what it's going to take. And here's what I believe. If God has put somebody on your heart to pray for who hasn't had that evidence yet, hasn't been able to believe yet, if you're still praying for them, God's at work. When we lose the burden, when we lose the sense, of, it, it may be that they've passed their time. They, they, they've, they, they're, not, they're not going to receive any more evidence. But if there's still a work in your heart, if it's still there, mom, dad, friend, spouse, that you want to see them come to know Jesus, you've said everything you can say, but God hasn't yet done everything he's capable of doing and is going to do. Amen. Okay, but here, here's another part about that word or that, the statement that Jesus made. Jesus, when he used the word, it's translated church in our Bibles, but that's not the word that Jesus used. Jesus used a non-religious word. Jesus used a word that was not contemporary, was not a part of the Jewish system. He, he used a word that could be pulled from the Greek political polity, ecclesia, ecclesia. Literally, it means the called out ones, the called to one, meaning that Jesus would build this ecclesia upon the basis of ones who have been called to him. Not called to a denomination primarily. Not, not called to a particular nationality primarily, but called to Jesus. Now, I'm a, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Southern Baptist to the 53rd power. All right? Some of you didn't know that. But all my education and scripture and background and formal training, college, master's, doctorate level has come from Southern Baptist institutions. But I'm here to tell you that those men and women who trained me, who taught me how to love the Greek text and how to endure the Hebrew text and how to go through different things and study the theologi of theological matters and mission and evangelism kind of entities, all of those men and women had it at the core of their heart Southern Baptists can't do anything for you in terms of getting you from Bear County to glory. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I'm sure they are not the only ones who have made that statement, but they were trying to say, don't put your trust in an organization. Don't put your trust in a system. Don't, don't put your trust in anything other than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But see, here's what happened. The translators picked a word, and the word that the English translation is, is church. The problem is, that's worlds apart from the word that Jesus used, ecclesia. Ecclesia means called out from and called to Jesus. Singular affection and devotion to one person, Jesus. The Father God, the Spirit, the the, the true God, but Jesus in particular. Church, on the other hand, comes from a word that means Lord or Master or Overseer, implying a system. That as long as you're friends with the system, then you're going to be okay with God. But suppose you do something that is out of what the system wants, then the system can yank the excommunication ripcord. And you're going to be left with the sense that if I'm not in the church, if I'm not in the building, if I'm not pleasing to the superiors, then, then I must not be in the church. Let me tell you, <laughs> I, got, I need to rein this in a little bit. Because I know what it's like to be a victim of a system called the church. And I'm, I'm, I'm well aware that there are many of you listening today who may have been victims of the church system. And it's caused you want to check out on everything Jesus. 
Don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Jesus is not the church system. Jesus is not a Southern Baptist. Jesus is not a Catholic. Jesus is not a Pentecostal. Jesus is not a Methodist. He's not an Anglican. He's Jesus. <laughs> He's who he is all by himself. All by himself. Now, there may, be, there may be systems and entities through which we come to know Jesus. Billy Graham, evangelist. As I mentioned, Southern Baptist, that's how I came to know Jesus. And you could have your own story. But the all-important aspect is that you're following him. You're following Jesus. Not pleasing, trying to be appetizing to a church system. Hmm? Okay. So then you say, well, well, pastor, how come we're building a building out there? Why are we doing this? We're not do it, doing it so that we can have a place for Jesus to live. Isaiah 65 says, how are you going to build a house for me? I created everything that is. Everything below heaven is my footstool, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and lowly of heart and who trembles at my word. It isn't about building a place for Jesus to be. It is about the convenience, the convenience of the people of God who have Jesus inside them to have a place to meet, to do primarily two things to celebrate his presence and to proclaim his name. To celebrate his presence and to proclaim his name. So we will step into the coming days with watching structure rise up out of the ground, but not to any degree, realistically in our hearts, having the sense that, oh my goodness, if we leave where we've been sitting, standing, and I've been stomping, spitting, and hollering for 34 years, that, oh my goodness, we're going to leave Jesus behind. He wasn't here in the first place. <laughs> he wasn't here. I mean, he was, but we're talking manifest presence of Jesus. We carry him with us. He leads us where he wants us to be. And we can expect and count on and look forward to feeling his presence and sensing his presence and magnifying his name. I, I, I believe deep in my heart that though there is a compacting of our footprint here in San Antonio, it is not at all a contraction of the call of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord upon Alamo City to be a light not only here, but also around the world. And there are many of you who are part of the Alamo City family, and you're in cities all over the place. And there is a deep sense that as we make this move, as we take this step, that, that our longing is that you will continue to be a part with us. Some can come, find their favorite pew, be glad to sit there and, and try to stay awake as the preacher goes so long, and, and then be able to see the friends that you can hug and love. But there'll be others who may never get to be here. And yet, because of what I believe the Lord has called us to do, you're going to be as much a part in those just like you scattered all over the world that the Lord by His Spirit, from this place, from this launching pad, it's a Cape Canaveral kind of thing in my spirit, we do the best that we can do for right here, but with the understanding that it is the rest of the world and the heart for Jesus that we could speak and declare and share all over the world by the technology that he has given us. And that's our mission. That's our mission. Amen. I tell you, I, you know, I get these people. I get these people. Don't be one of these people. Say, Pastor, you're getting on up there. When you're thinking about retiring, what's your succession plan? <laughs> Man, I'm just so glad that it's Sunday. I'm so looking forward to seeing your faces and hearing your responses and getting back to you all. 
that I, I mean, I literally do. I hope the Lord just takes me home from standing right here. I don't have any plans to quit. I don't have any plans to do anything else. Don't you want to rest? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that just for me, but I hope you feel that way too. You show me, you show me retirement in the kingdom of God. Right, Larry? You show me retirement. Show me retirement in the Bible. Now, I understand we can, we can retire from things secular and natural so that we can do other things, but not just stare at Fox News and drink Diet Coke and eat, eat donuts all day. I, I didn't mean that. I know nobody's, <laughs> nobody's even thinking about that kind of thing. But, you know, the fire of Paul would say the outer man's perishing. The inner man is being renewed day by day. Folks, let's go for the world. Let, let's, let's take Jesus as our own. Let him fill us with his spirit. And Lord, just send us all over this world in the way that you would choose to do it. Amen. I see Shirley over there. She's rolling her eyes. And oh, my goodness. Here we go for another 34 years. Oh, there would be no way that this one could have made this journey apart from that one right there in the human sense. I mean that. She's, she's tougher than I am. She's smarter than I am, I guarantee you. And I love her dearly. Okay? All right, now we need to, we need to get ready to do a little walking. You know that it's it's near about three quarters of a mile. If you were to start at the front of the property and go back to Frat Road, it's about three quarters of a mile. It's about, I don't know, a third mile wide. We've sold some up here, but this is, this is a big place. And he's blessed us richly over these years. Um, but some of you may need a little help getting out there. So if you want to drive your car, out on the grass, um, we can't say that in wet seasons, but this is not a wet season. So if you have a little difficulty walking, or if you'd just like to do that, you can. Our men will help direct you in, in that direction. And we'll regather out there, and we'll try to get things going about 1245. We will not be long, but we want to make sure that before any workmen come here, before any equipment gets here, that we have freshly dedicated that area to the Lord, prayed for their protection, prayed for the presence of the Lord to uh, be on this place, in that place, in a special way while the work's going on. Lord, thank you for the time together this morning. Thank you for the brothers and sisters who are a part of this, this moment. And we ask you to bless us by speaking to us, by confirming to our hearts, Lord, what you want us to know and hear on this day and in this season. Thank you that you are alive within us, Jesus. Thank you that you are alive within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Prayer partners, make your way here if you would, please. And if we, we want to pray with you and pray for you, but we'll, we'll plan to spend the bulk of our time out to the west here in just a, just a few minutes. God bless you for coming, and we'll see you outside in a little bit.